Welcome back to WWC. I'm your host, Will Wright. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. On this podcast, I cover a wide range of topics, but I'm always seeking to make good distinctions because distinctions are the spice of life. I myself am Catholic, American, and conservative. That's my bias. Uh, But if you're atheist, anti-American, liberal, you're still more than welcome to listen and engage with my content. Today, we're asking the question, are we using emotions or logic when we think? What about the people in our society? What's the consequences either way? Really, today we're thinking about thinking. Also, a quick note, I'm very excited about this. We have officially reached 100 subscribers on WWC. So thank you so much for your support uh, of the podcast and the Substack. And if you've been enjoying this content, please share it with your friends and family. I'd love this uh, to continue the steady growth of this platform. So without further ado, let's dive in. Logic seems to be far less important to most people than their feelings and comfort. Emotional reasoning has supplanted logical reasoning in almost every sphere of human activity today. And the reason for this seems to be directly connected to personal comfort, right? No one likes to be uncomfortable, but oftentimes this is what's required if we're to embrace the truth. Truth requires suffering, not every time, but a lot of the time. And we have to understand as a society that we cannot function without logical reasoning, good, solid logical reasoning. A functioning society requires that there be a prioritization of the needs of the people. Certainly, each person has the basic right to order their lives according to the priorities which they most desire, but if there's nothing bonding man to man, then the priorities chosen will not line up man to man. There'll be great disparities between the goals sought and the common good will certainly not be served. So really, we need to aim together at the right target. And we can speak of goals sought uh, in, in archery terms, right? bow and arrow. If you have a bow and arrow, you're aiming at a target, you stand a chance of having the arrow pierce the target right in the center uh, if you're aiming, right? If you're aiming right at it, but if you're aiming even 15 degrees away from the target, you are unlikely to hit the mark at all. You might not even hit the target, right? It's that, that saying, aim small, miss small. Every person wants to hit the metaphorical targets in his or her life. However, because we live in a fallen world with a fallen nature, we often miss the mark. In fact, this is the meaning of the word sin. Uh, To sin is a Greek archery term. It means to miss the mark. Traditionally, we know that sin comes from three main causes, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we shouldn't be under false assumptions about the lack of logic in our society and its connection to widespread sin. Because sin is is very illogical. Uh, It's sometimes the consequence of valuing and utilizing emotional reasoning over logical reasoning. Now, now it's not true all the time, and I'm not saying that emotions are evil. They're, They're neutral. But if we operate under false assumptions, then we will miss the mark when trying to think logically, because it's about what we apprehend as good, what we see as good. But the good news 
is that we are not doomed. We can purify our assumptions and targets with humility and inquiry. If, however, we stick to thinking only with our emotions, we're going to be as inconsistent as those emotions that come and go. In many ways, emotions are like wind to our sails. A good sailor knows how to go with the wind or continue to hold course in spite of winds blowing the wrong direction. So in a world marred by sin, with each person choosing their own priorities, to the exclusion sometimes of those around them, how, how is our society to function? How can a community organize around common goals and principles? That, that would be our target if our values and our priorities are so disparate. Before we can ever suggest that people become more logical, more rational, we need to introduce a common identity and vision. And truly, this common identity is a shared morality. And as soon as I bring that up, I'm sure uh, some of you listening are like, how is that even possible? This is where most conversations in our pluralistic society sort of derail. How can we possibly have a shared morality? I mean, even if you just look at Catholicism, many Catholics can't seem to be on the same page about very simple matters of faith and morals. And then there's non-Catholic Christians. There's, there's the Jewish people. There's Muslims. There's pagans of various assortments, agnostics, atheists. How can we ever speak of a shared morality? But thankfully, our shared morality is already present. It's hardwired into us. There's certain things which every person intuitively knows are right or wrong. Murder, rape, arson. These are always immoral. You don't need to be taught that such things are gravely wrong. However, it does take self-knowledge and self-possession to listen to this law, which is written into the hearts of man's own nature. The law in our hearts, which rises from our deepest nature as human beings, is called the natural law. St. Thomas Aquinas says this. He says, quote, the light of reason is placed by nature in every man to guide him in his acts, end quote. So if this is true and natural law exists, why do people do horrendous things? Why do people commit murder? Why do people rape people? Why do people commit arson? Each of these disordered acts and many more are the result of unbridled passions. Those who kill the innocent or sexually violate others are doing so because they have a disordered inclination to do so. They believe that committing this action is a good thing in some twisted way. But if they thought about it logically and clearly and were able to apprehend the good as it is, not as they would have it, maybe they would see their error. But they're likely acting from a place of emotion and passion. We all do this to some extent because we all sin. We all miss the mark. We choose a lesser good instead of the greater good that God is calling us to choose. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we realize how irrational we are, see, human beings are imperfect. We make mistakes. We use our rational powers of intellect and will to choose things which are bad for us. But we're convinced, we're deeply convinced that they are good, right? We're broken. And this is where any conversation of a shared identity has to begin. We have to be willing to remove the plank from our own eye before inspecting the speck in our brothers. 
Certainly, there's a duty to call a spade a spade and judge actions which go against a basic sense of morality. But we have to be willing to forego judging the individual committing the action. It's simply not our place. We are not the judge. Uh, We spoke about this at some length a few weeks ago. Uh, So feel free to go and listen to that podcast if you like. Uh, To reiterate the basic point of that, it's judge actions, not people. We love people not their actions. So how can we share, how can we bring this all together and have a real shared vision? If we recognize that we're broken and that we miss the mark, then we're in a better place to grow personally. See, once we begin to grow in our own lives and put our affairs in right order, then we can turn towards those around us. So in this way, a single person begins a ripple effect of virtue in right order. And once the bulk of the community is oriented in the same direction with a shared vision, with logical reasoning receiving deference and emotional reasoning receiving suspicion, then we can begin to truly coagulate a common identity once more. And it's been some time since our society shared a common vision. That would have been Christendom. Uh, But it's possible to instantiate that once more. Because the gospel is for all times, it's for all people. A common vision, identity, and purpose is possible when we begin to possess ourselves and know ourselves as we truly are. With this clarity of vision, we can organize ourselves with common vision. Aristotle said this, he said, Knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. And this self-knowledge doesn't come from within. I'm sure you've heard some kind of variation of this phrase, right? I need to find myself. If you've ever thought that, if you're thinking that now, let me go ahead and help you out, save you some time. No, you do not. You need to sit still in silence and let reality form you. The world exists in a certain way, and we often convince ourselves that our feelings will tell us the right way to go. And the alternative is to observe reality as it is, not as we would have it. So myself, as a theist, as someone who believes in God, I'm strongly convicted that God is the only source of truth and the author of reality. As the ground of being, he informs us of who we are. He is hidden just enough to not be seen unless he's sought. But God shines a light on the beginnings of true self-knowledge. If we seek him and armed with this new vision, this new way of seeing the world in humility, seeing ourselves as God sees us, our culture begins to be centered on the ultimate logic, the logos, L-O-G-O-S, the uncreated word, which brings all things into being. Now, you listening to this, perhaps you're a believer and perhaps you're not. But the nice thing about reality is that facts do not care about your feelings to borrow a phrase from someone. Anyway, our subjective opinions and whims have to take a back seat to cold, hard logic if we are to be fulfilled and well-ordered. And this necessarily means that we will not be comfortable. We will suffer, and that's okay. It's better to live in accord with reason and be uncomfortable than to be numb and out of step with reality. I have to mention here, of course, that while facts might not care about our feelings, Jesus Christ absolutely does. And as one human family, we should care about the feelings of our brothers and sisters. 
Facts and reality might be cold and logical, but human persons don't need to be. We do good and avoid evil, and we charitably admonish the sinner. We conform ourselves to reality. We call out others when they're acting against reality, but it's always compelled by love. In the incarnation, the, the enfleshment of the second person of the Blessed Trinity, in, a, in other words, when Jesus took on human nature while retaining his divine nature, Jesus did not become partly human and partly divine. He's both fully God and fully man. Therefore, he is the perfect model for humanity of what we can be. Our Lord is the embodiment of wisdom, literally. He is the uncreated word of God, which was spoken by the Father eternally. Therefore, when he speaks in the Gospels, we hear the words of the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth. Though he's fully God, he's also truly man. He had to grow in knowledge of language and customs. So Jesus shows us what the person, what the human person is capable of in some measure when unencumbered by sin. And that's not to say that we'll be like him in all things on this earth, but he does call us to grow in knowledge and love of him to lead us into all wisdom. Therefore, inspired by the gifts of the Holy Spirit and led by our Lord, who is the eternal word, we can begin to think clearly. And truly, the more we learn about Jesus Christ, about the Catholic faith, and about the world around us from God's perspective, the more we will grow in our capacities for rational thought. So using logic, it's not opposed to the gospel. In fact, the gospel presumes logic. It presumes a conformity to reality, as it is, not as we would have it. There's a lot of brilliant atheists, but what they lack cannot be supplied by human effort. The grace of God to enlighten our minds and hearts comes from him alone. So it's a good thing to pray for clearer thinking and for opportunities to learn more. Second, it doesn't do, good, it doesn't do any good to think clearly if we're unhealthy emotionally. Right? There'll be times in our lives when we're compromised by our passions and our emotions and therefore are not thinking as clearly as we ought to be. And it's important to reflect on our emotional state and seek the counsel of a good friend or a spiritual director to enlighten us and pray to the Lord for emotional health. Only Christ can bring us true peace in the storms of life. But no good human decision can be made while we're not in our right state of mind. Now, being able to see when we're unhealthy emotionally takes a great deal of introspection and self-knowledge. And as an important note by emotional health, I don't mean mental disorders. Right? Those suffering from anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, and so forth are not incapable of making good decisions. That's not what I'm saying. I'm referring more to emotional health as it relates to both our own personal spiritual life as well as our interaction in the public sphere. So I could I put it in the form of questions. We might ask ourselves, how do I react when I'm challenged? Or how uh, are we calm and balanced when we're challenged? Or do we seek the common good or only our own good? Are we listening, are we willing to listen when confronted with someone who disagrees with us? Right? These sorts of things can help us understand whether we are healthy in our emotional responses. Because right? emotions are neutral, 
but they do uh, need to be taken into account when we're making choices. Thirdly, we must form our conscience. Right? If our own conscience is guiding us to act in ways incongruous with the faith, then we're serving our own whims, not the Lord Jesus. And this is a tricky thing because the church tells us to give deference to the promptings of our conscience, right? If our conscience is compelling us to act a certain way, we are obliged to listen to it. However, this is where the Catholic both and comes into play, right? Rather than the either or, we're, we're a both and uh, kind of community. So we're called to both follow our conscience and work to form it in accord with the teachings and principles of the church. And I'll end with this reminder from Proverbs. This is from uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So in some, let's not be fools. Fear of the Lord is a gift from God. It's recognizing who God is and who we are before him. It is the first and most important priority. When we have humility, we have a healthy fear of the Lord, and we begin to grow in self-knowledge and wisdom. And only then do we begin to have the vision that will lift ourselves and ultimately our culture out of the mire. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And uh, we'll see you next week on Will Write Catholic as we talk about the subject of is man religious by nature? I'm going to answer that question. Uh, so hopefully that'll be a, an interesting episode for you. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it on your personal social media. It's the only way to, that I can grow this platform is, is by relying on you kind folks who listen. Uh, also, if you've enjoyed this um, Please like it. Leave a comment. You can send an email to me at will.write.catholic at gmail.com. Uh, if you have questions on anything, really, uh, I'd love to start answering questions on these weekly podcasts. So if you have a question about any topic at all, whether it's what does the church teach about this or that, uh, or what, what are my thoughts on whatever, um, I'd love to hear from you. So please send those on. If you have any constructive feedback or you disagree with anything I've said, I'd love to have a conversation. Um, so please feel free to email me. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much and God bless. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever, amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.